1: Over the mountaintop, so goes The Sounding Signal. This is another edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 i I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, joined by the Film Guys. To my left, your radio right, the storyboard artist to the Corn Brothers for 20 years and counting. Uh, She always makes me feel so old. I know, but that's notable. It Uh. is uh, the one, the only force of nature himself, J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, Welcome.
0: It's always my pleasure to be here.
1: (laughs) Thank you. On my right, Radio Left, it is the largest frame brain, no kidding, in the world. In his brain are contained all the factoids, tidbits, and trivias of every movie ever made. And that's why he's the nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress. And he's the other film guy, our friend, George Willeman. George, welcome. Bye. George, Yeah, I always do expect that George, uh, with that, <laughs> we have Actually, chosen... Actually, I was going to say, Ricola. With <laughs>
0: those horns at the beginning.
1: Over the mountain Yeah, top. those really
0: cool-looking <laughs> horns there, man. I want one of those for my front yard. Mm.
1: Horns come into play uh, in this yeah, movie. I'll we I'll say. <laughs> no. In more ways than one. Um, the movie that the film guys have uh, revealed to us... This is our one us... and
0: only melodrama. So far.
1: Except for Down With Love, which one of my guilty pleasures. But other than that... <laughs> George, your voice just
0: changed. Your lips weren't moving. And what happened? I'm a ventricleist.
1: It is uh, the 1947 British film. Right. And
2: this will probably be about the closest we ever come to a chick flick, a chick flick. on this show. <laughs> I, won't, I won't say that Except for sure for because you Love. never know. Oh <laughs>
0: this is... Uh, Probably one of the most visually stunning films you're ever going to see. This is
2: this is to me the true one of the truest and fullest examples of cinema magic, as we will get into when we talk about the the creation of this film.
0: This was shot in glorious, glorious three-strip Technicolor. Yeah, and you're not going to see too the many nth degree. Absolutely, to its maximum potential. I don't know of any movie that's ever exploited the Technicolor process to this effect. Mm.
1: Have we actually said the title yet? No, we haven't.
0: (laughs) Well, doggone it, we better just say that. This
2: film is called Black Narcissus.
1: We'll find out uh, in the course of talking about the plot what exactly that means. But uh, it's a very, very intriguing setting indeed. But before we set out toward the setting, we will remind ourselves and all of us that uh, there is a very strict... Series of codes, a a set of criteria that dictate whether or whether or not a movie is on the Filmic Perfectly the filmic list, perfect. that's it. And gentlemen, those rules are... Hey, you
0: know what? This movie that we're doing today creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that world. Regardless of changes in society, it retains its meaning and entertainment value.
2: And black narcissus will never be placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order. It is perfect by its own scale.
1: And I agree with you fully. <laughs> we whipped it that one. This Great... is a different kind of <laughs> yeah, movie. <we> <laughs> this is
0: a very, very different kind of movie for you to watch. It's a very slow melodrama. But it's just, like I said before, it's eye candy. It,
2: it is a highly rewarding movie to watch. And, and I would recommend, I mean, since you can't really go and see it at a the theater, if you do not have a really good color television set, a really large color television set uh, to in with which to watch this, don't even think about it. No because kidding. Because you will miss a good portion of what makes this film so great.
1: There's a, a grandness to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it is in technical. This is uh, by a couple of British filmmakers who had teamed up before, correct? Or
2: they, Off and on. This is when they actually, uh, Michael Powell and Eric Pressburger, uh, combined their efforts to and called themselves the Archers. And they made just a handful of films. They did not make the that Red many Shoes, films. Actually, if yeah. anybody who's ever seen the Red Shoes, another um, pre- technical masterpiece, uh, Tales of Hoffman, which is one of my absolute favorite films, um, et cetera. And this, this—I can't remember. This was the first of the Archers' productions. One of the first.
0: And they had this incredible cinematographer who just passed away in April of this year, named Jack Cardiff. And he also did the Red Shoes. He photographed that for them.
1: Um, Cardiff had done things. It seems like I've heard you gentlemen saying his name. Uh, on more than one occasion. Cardiff's,
2: Cardiff's list of credits reads like the history of motion pictures. It, I it's mean, it's just on and on. Seventy
0: three listed on the IMDb. Uh, but boy, if anybody ever cut some style through an exposure on a motion picture film, it's him. Uh, he, this, when you look at this movie, you're going to say holy cow, man, there, there isn't a bad shot in this thing, man. It's beautiful everywhere you look.
1: It is. It's real breathtaking. And um, before we get into some of the techniques that they use to to bring this glory to the lighted screen, uh, let's have George give us a, a rundown of the action, the plot in this movie.
2: Okay, the story of Black Narcissus is about a group of nuns uh, from an English, uh, I don't want to say, mon- not monastery. Nunnery? <laughs> Nunnery, uh, who are sent to India to take over this palace that is offered to them by the ruler of this small area uh, and to create a, 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 um, a, a place of rest for people, a hospital, a school, um, and they call it St. Faiths. And the four nuns that go are, are led by um, a young woman named Sister Cloda, who is played by Deborah Carr,
1: a name, I've never heard in before her absolute prime.
0: Movie. In her absolute prime,
1: no, no, I'm sorry, Cloda. Cloda, such an interesting, odd it's name. Not an Irish
0: name. The can't sing yeah, okay. that song, don't
1: you remember that? Okay, no. Uh, there was also, I believe, there was an, there was
2: a, uh, a singer yeah. named Cloda Rogers, I think, in England. But okay, right. uh, but Sister Cloda is given the job of, of Sister Superior of this group, and she, she doesn't really get to pick the other nuns that go with her, they are sort of s- chosen for her. One is chosen basically for her size. She's a very large woman. And it's like You'll need her strength. Another one is uh, quite a horticulturist. So she go- goes along to build the gardens. And then there's Sister Ruth, who in the first scene where they're picking the nuns out, Sister Ruth is just represented by an empty chair. It's like, <laughs> yes, she's going to cause you problems. Oh, yes, she's going <laughs> to cause some problems. But they send her along as like the fourth nun. And as soon as they get there, they start having problems because the house that they are given uh, was called the House of Women.
1: Which was uh, built by one of the the princes. Built by
2: one of the the ancient princes as a place for his harem to live. Which we have a a really good clip on that. We have a clip of the, the colonel talking... To Aya, who is the old housemaid, about the nuns coming to stay at the House of Women.
1: Who's been the only one there for some years right. now. It's, it's, it's been a long time since it was the house. Nutty of women. as a brickbat. Yeah. Now
0: listen, Aya. I have invited some ladies to stay here at the House of Women. Ladies? Oh, that would be like old times. It will not be in the least like old times. They are not that kind of lady at all. Then yeah, they won't be any fun. They are not coming for fun. These are nuns. Do you know what a nun is? They kneel and pray all day like the monks you invited last year. I am going to give them this
2: house to make a school and a hospital for the people.
0: You know nobody here wants a school? And I'm sure they don't want a hospital! How do they know what they want until they try? The people have all kind of diseases. They
2: have ringworm. They don't mind having ringworm? Then they ought to mind, and it will all be free.
0: It was free last time, and nobody came.
2: They will this time. <laughs> and that last male voice you heard, the, the, the not-Indian-sounding male voice, was uh, David Farrar, who plays Mr. Dean, who is actually the assistant to the general, and uh, becomes sort of the main
0: object of desire. Love object. Well, and the he, man it's because hardly he wears, wears any clothes. Yeah, he has the shortest shorts and the <laughs> whitest <laughs> legs of any movie actor in the history of cinema.
1: All these nuns with their, I mean, over, overly abundant amount of clothes. Too he, much clothes.
0: And his haberdasher should be shot. Because <laughs> well, he's got that sort of Australian hat going there. <laughs> he's got feathers
2: in it from all the birds he killed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Mr. Dean, Mr. Dean especially catches the eye of Sister Ruth,
1: mm-hmm. who is That's having second thoughts who we about we knew we were going to have trouble with
0: second ooh, thoughts ooh, about,
2: her, uh, okay. about her about uh, her her.
0: Vowels, yeah, that's Kathleen <laughs> Byron. Man, I'll tell you, when they transform her into Technicolor, she mm-hmm. is hot.
1: The nuns, by the way, are all wearing white and they have the big oh, habits that go way habits. out in front, you know, sort of the flat, molded fabric. Mm-hmm. Very interesting very... to
0: note. Um, in this movie on the Criterion box art, it says Protestant missionary, Protestant nuns. I believe, mm-hmm. do believe. But we believe George and I. George and I think that they're Episcopalian uh,
2: or Ch- Church of England or Anglican
0: yeah. nuns. Yeah, because you think they're a Coming member of, of the Catholic Church, but we think because of of, of what the, the Criterion people have put on the box, it's a Episcopalian. That's what we think the faith is in mm-hmm. this movie.
1: But they've got their work cut out for them. Basically, they're going up to a, 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 a right the, a huge the, building yeah. on a mountain, high, high up.
2: Right, it's thousands of feet in the air. The air is thin to begin with. There is just sort of the the sort of the air around not the air oxygen, but the air of the place because it was the house of women. It was, you know
1: Some leftover vibes. Yeah. There.
2: And and everyone who has been there, the wind blows all the time. All the time and whips and it's their cold.
0: Whips their skirts. Yeah. The and, and
2: and yeah. they are told by by everyone that they're not it's not gonna work. You know, this place causes you to just change. And sure enough, within a few weeks, things begin to happen. Where the nuns just start kind of—I don't want to say losing their minds. Well, Sister Ruth starts losing her mind, yeah. but In a big uh, way. but the other the other sisters, Flora Robson plays the the sister who is planting the gardens, and she has a whole vegetable garden laid out. And as time progresses, when the garden comes up, it's all flowers. She
1: doesn't plant a, a single she thing plant to eat.
2: Anything to eat, just flowers. And she, when they ask her why, she's like, "I, you know, it was just—it's this place." It makes me think of the past because all these women have the same thing. You find they are they are be, they are in the order to get away from something in their
0: past, and they think back a lot about it. And this place encourages it. right? this place
2: encourages it. Yeah, especially you know. Sister Cloda, who is so tight and so tightly wound. And you begin to find out more and more about her past and why she's here about this young man that she loved, who basically. Ended up dumping her and and moving to Michigan, of all places, Isn't to work fishy? with his Bonnie uncle.
1: From England, <laughs> yeah. She was a Scottish lass. Some of Scottish last.
0: the really cool stuff in this movie that you don't see in any other movie uh, is the writing of Shetland Ponies.
1: <laughs> yeah
0: it's almost comical these big guys you know dismount off their ponies like cowboys only they're, they're riding shetland pony because they're in the mountains but it's it's really something to be seen these guys riding these little ponies around
1: they're teeny tiny they their feet about you know maybe four inches almost from the ground. the ground especially
0: our hero with the <laughs> with short pants shirts. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's a very comical image although i don't think they in, intended that necessarily I'm well, not sure. I kind of, this, of think
2: they did with the horses
0: anyway.
1: Yeah. You know, it's too
0: much. You can't hardly laugh. If you're a Maxfield Parish fan, uh, the painter, you're going to see a lot of this imagery in this movie of girls on rocks. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The famous Maxfield Parish, where there's always – Women in the wind, and they're on high, you know, rock-like uh, pieces of architecture, and the and their clothes are always blowing, and everything. It's a very Maxwell Parish, a
1: stark des- desolate, and the, the colors that Maxwell
0: Parish used in his paintings. This looks very similar.
1: We're talking about a 1947 film, Black Narcissus, a perfect film on filmically perfect, on 91.3 one three WYSO, and this is a beautiful film. But there's a kind of stunning fact. That I picked up because you talk about paintings, yeah. despite these just sweeping vistas and these large places, not one frame was shot on location.
2: That is correct. The entire film was created in the studio, and these beautiful vistas, which look very, very, I mean, they are incredible, beautiful uh, works of art, are these incredible matte paintings that were uh, done by a British uh, artist, uh, W. Percy Day.
0: Good old-fashioned uh, matte photography, Matt which photography we'll never, glass you'll never is. see that again. And, and it, for a correction, I get I'm sorry, George. I I'm, said Maxwell Parrish. It's Max Field Max Field per- per- Parrish, yes. yes.
1: Also, just a, a quick recap of a, of a matte, and, and, and Am I right in understanding that you paint onto glass that then the camera shoots through? But it just—
2: There there that, are there are different ways of doing it. That, that type of matte is called a glass shot, where, yes, you will have—you know, you'll— create a piece of glass with the painting on it matching up with the actual set and it, yeah they probably did some of those some may have been matted in later on after the fact but uh, yeah they are the most incredible matte paintings and the matchings... some of them
1: actually painted onto huge
0: they're glass Use oh, they're glass they probably they're now and one thing glass. you got to remember if you if you look up this glass painting the thing that they don't really tell you is the camera everything has to be there's a, There's an imaginary line that goes from the center of the lens to infinity when you're shooting movies, and that's called the axis line. Everything has to be on axis. It can't be off a degree or else the mat won't work. Right. It uh, loses you, believability. You can't really move the camera. It has to go down down the middle as we used to say and it's stacked mats um, and i
2: think you will notice in this film the really incredible mat shots the cameras always locked down they never always move it because it they,
0: they
1: can't, can't. Ch- they can't cannot risk move it, it. No. um jay todd some of these pictures i have to imagine are beautiful i mean like you would probably hang it in your home i wonder if any of these survive. you know what when you look
0: at a mat you can't even tell what it is and when i say mat don't think of it's always glass folks just think of glass but when those guys they have uh, their eyes are designed for the cinema and when they paint that glass you can't tell what's on that glass honestly it's designed for the shot if you take that glass and hang it on your wall you can't tell what it is it looks like texture mm-hmm. but they stack maybe 3 or 4 pieces of glass maybe a foot away to give it some dimension and and then it starts you look right down the camera lens and you can see it it's all built to be patterned around the image and taken together mm-hmm.
1: now th- were some of these huge you They're know room sized they paintings? would have been, yeah some of them
2: could have been really enormous yeah 12 um, by 8 sometimes and they yeah. don't sit,
1: they never saved these did they some
2: so. um I don't know about Percy Day's work because, yes, because they're huge pieces of glass, what are you going to do with them afterwards? I do believe that, uh, and I think he's probably a student of Percy Day's, uh, Peter Ellenshaw, who worked for Walt Disney and may have even worked a little bit on this film too, uh, did kind of the same sort of beautiful glass paintings for Mary Poppins and some of the Treasure Island, some of the Disney live-action films, and they are of the same quality as these. And I believe
0: a few of his mats have been saved
1: nice well it, it's completely effective it's a beautiful film to look this at. this is the
0: best one of the best examples now king kong is a really good example of good glass mats <laughs> um, but this in my opinion is is somebody who really knew how now natalie natalie Kalmus, i'm sure she was probably heavily involved in this this is one of the big or pictures pictures yes her they,
2: name is on the credits as
0: color yeah. director yeah because she uh she owned they owned the cameras right. 1947
1: that's early for her to be getting such a
0: no no no, no. she she was the estranged
2: wife of herbert Kalmus who was the inventor Enterer of, of technicolor. technicolor three strip and um her name is on pretty much every technicolor film up to a certain point as like color director um, but finally uh, Herbert Calmus and the people at Technicolor really didn't like dealing with her so they shipped her off to England <laughs> and Where that's why she worked, why on, Black she worked on Black Narcissus yes. And you
0: can tell because uh, this looks like there's a lot of
2: attention there's paid a lot of to this high, movie high yeah. edge of control on the color on this film
1: It's good looking and it's a good story um, eventually the the winds the weather the it the, the women <laughs> they become a bit they, they, they get smitten. they yeah. become
0: smitten with the man Things in the short, short to a in head. The world. Yeah. Yes. 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 The and I, oh, and we're painting.
2: not going to give away the ending because the ending is much too good. Oh,
0: yeah. 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 But we know we have a very exciting melodrama clip um, that uh, really, really makes George and I feel very good when we watch this because <laughs> we're so proud of ourselves for picking a melodrama.
1: Um, let's just say that getting this is getting in touch with our, our feminine <laughs> side. Yes. This is Sister Ruth has been uh, so. Um, Smitten oh, with Mister yeah. Dean, she's come for him. She's or... come for him. Oh, she's, yeah. she's she, left the mountain. She
2: renounces her order. She orders a a nice uh, a slutty dress from uh, Oh yeah. from Sears Roebuck, and and, and lust she heads down the mountain. Is, lust is in her eyes. <laughs> I love you. You're... Well, if you do, you can forget about
0: it. I'm sorry, Sister Ruth. Very sorry, but. Look, let me take you back to the palace. It isn't too late. Sister Clodagh is your friend. She spoke to me about you last night. She wants to help you.
2: She hates me. They all hate me. You're the only one that's ever been kind to me. I have hardly spoken a word to you. Yes, you have. The first time is when I stopped the old native woman from bleeding to death. You said you were grateful. Did I? And then when you stopped me that day in the hall, you said... Well, whatever I said, it didn't mean a thing. Ever since you came here, you've all gone crazy. Well, drive one another crazy, but leave me
1: out of it!
0: Darjeeling or not. No! And you must go back to the palace. No. You'll go back if I have to carry you back. Go and talk to Sister Clodagh. She brought you here, she can get you back again. Sister Clodagh! Sister Clodagh! Do you know what she says about you? Or whatever she said, it was true. You said that because you love her! I don't love anyone! Clodagh! Clodagh! Clodagh!
1: Clodagh.
0: And she faints in that incredibly Hollywood-style sexy pose
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> on the couch. But another in this movie,
0: another part of this,
2: um, this sort of fits in with the, like the Michael Powell milieu, I guess you want to say, is, is that as his as his career as his career progresses, and especially in this, a lot of it, a lot of his films take on this this whole idea of. of Kind of like Sister Ruth. I mean, it's a suppression of feelings. And when the feelings are finally expressed, something disastrous happens. Which is kind of
1: a British sensibility, right? I
2: mean, this one has it. The Red Shoes has it. Tales of Hoffman, even though it is basically a filmed opera, is filled with sort of this sexual tension throughout the film. I mean, Moira Shearer in that film plays a mechanical doll that the main character falls in love with, and she ends up getting torn apart because the
0: maker cannot part with her. But in this picture... Jean Simmons, the Temptress, the wild, sexy girl that they can't take. 17 year
2: old, no, 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 no. 17 year old uh, (gasps) Jean Simmons, who plays a little native girl who's
0: brought to the the convent. And she has jewelry in her nose, but she she just emotes sexuality.
1: Is it just me, or does she look exactly like Vivian Lee? It was very, very similar. Beautiful eyes. And
0: she spreads this love pollen around. Mm-hmm. And she gets all the girls in their in their wrapped costumes, and it's all kind excited. of
2: kind of with her where the the title Black Narcissus comes from because the Black Narcissus is this cheap cologne yeah, that uh, the young the young general played by the actor Sabu uh, picks up at the Army Navy store. He,
1: he doesn't necessarily think of it as cheap; he thinks it's quite. Uh, a, but quite a, a but
2: uh, Sister Ruth is just appalled by it and thinks it stinks. And but then you see. Uh, was her kimchi? I believe her yeah. name. Uh, you see, kimchi he, is Gene Simmons, right? Yeah. Not not the Korean delicacy that Juliet yeah. no, no, no. on. She's <laughs> um, perfume, and you see when he dabbing on his black narcissus, you see that she's just enraptured
0: <laughs> by the black narcissus. And and the, he pleads, Sabu pleads to be educated to, by these nuns, and they can't turn him away. But it's the, he's the only know,
1: man. It's a from man in the house
0: because you know the guy with the short shorts. He knows the effect <laughs> he has on him, and he stays away. <laughs> He knows that those pale white legs and those tall shorts are going to get him every time.
1: <laughs> you know, it's a good tale and it's it's it's, it's well done. It looks good and when uh, Ruth decides she's going to go after that man, she puts On this red lipstick.
0: Amazing close-up of her Boy, they they have her step into the lens, and there's a focus pool in there, and I don't think it's a mistake. There's a soft... She steps into clarity, soft focus, and then crystal clarity. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the cinematographer did that on purpose just to tease you a little bit because... She looks... I mean, this is glorious, technical. You're never going to see this kind of color ever again.
1: And then when she's spurned and goes back to the mountain to commit her final act of... Um, yeah, I don't she's crazy now. Yeah. Um, I, I saw in there that they actually choreographed the moves in this very climactic final scene to music that already existed. They They, they had it play along to the music, which course, speaks back to um, uh, Goodfellas and the scene mm-hmm. where Layla unfolds and with each, you know, next sort of wave of the rhythm of the song and there's another body, another body. So what an interesting, we're talking about, you know, over 50 years ago that they they had this idea. Now, this. technically,
0: Technically, to compare movies with not content, but just technically, the 300 that was just out recently. There's a a real interesting similarity between these two pictures because the 300 was done in a complete garbage-mat style where they did everything in one small soundstage, um, you know, and they had all these sets. And the sets were just a piece or a fragment of what you're seeing in 300. And then they painted everything around it green, like your weatherman. So it would disappear. Mm-hmm. And so almost that whole movie is shot in garbage mat. And it's supposed to be on mountains and, you know, really big deals. Why they
1: say garbage for that?
0: First, I don't know why they've coined it, but almost everything nowadays, they just paint the inside of whatever the vast, you know, area is going to Span- be. And digitally... And place the image around it, which is very similar. To, they can move the camera nowadays, but very similar to what they did in this movie mm-hmm. with glass mats. Because
2: in the in in three hundred, rather than doing a painted glass mat, they would do a basically a three dimensional digital mat. That yeah, then they can move the camera, and then the computer can move the mat in in. Perspective.
0: The along computer with can make those computations, and my friend Jim Bissell was the production designer on that, and he showed me how they did it. And it was absolutely fascinating. It wasn't on a, on a building too much bigger than an aircraft hangar what he showed me, and they did all this stuff. And when I hear how they made this and when I read how they made it, it's just a more improved version of how they did mm-hmm. it back in the old days. Yep.
1: You know, this uh, movie uh, had great significance for the British as well because it sort of put into film, it was a sort of a symbolic representation of the fall of the British Empire. Mm -hmm. This was the beginning. You know, these nuns weren't going to succeed on that mountain in the House of Women, and... um, and also some telltale things inside the film, not very PC. They call the they call the locals all natives, and they're, they're as children. They're all simple and, simple and children. Yes. And, and 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 the one woman says, "Well, they're black." And the and one said, "Well, they're not all black." And she said, well, "They all look the same to me." There's several occurrences where and they smell. And they smell. You yeah, get the sense Ruth. that uh, you know there's a. This is kind of like a little a little microcosm. Yeah, of because why this it just didn't about, work.
2: Yeah, this is just about the time that, that India got its independence from the British Empire. So there's there's a bit of that resonance there too. But it seems it amazes me how many films, especially films of a British uh, uh, creation, tend to talk about how badly the British Empire treated a lot of its outlying territories. A walkabout, which I just saw recently, is is very much in the same vein. Of, of Britain's treatment of, of the uh, Aborigine in Australia. You
0: know, nowadays when you see somebody who has a lot of blood on their clothes in a movie, it's pretty standard stuff, you know. But back then, when she comes running in, she has blood all over her white smock. I can only imagine what how audiences responded to that sort of collar when they saw it 20 feet high and technicolor. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you got to remember <laughs> right the round. context
0: of this movie. Although we still think it's a perfect movie, it is still kind of dated from, you know, because we see this stuff all the time. They didn't see color movies very much in 1940. 47, Um, you know, Gone with the Wind. Well, I mean, color was
2: becoming more of a deal, again, with the influx of television. Within about five years, color would would take a much bigger piece. For the Archers, uh, for this Powell and Pressburger thing, that was one of the first things they decided was that all the Archers films would be in color, which at this time in England, that was a big deal because this is the end of the war. They're still trying to rebuild the country. And here these guys are making these films in color.
1: Gentlemen, believe it or not, we are out of time. We've been talking about the perfect film Black Narcissus from 1947. And it was a whirlwind. Thanks. Uh, I really appreciate you guys opening my eyes to this. I know I would have never... Seen this film, but hey, that's another reason to love Filmically Perfect. (laughs) If you'd like to (laughs) tell the boys, thank them for a movie that you may have seen that uh, might have missed your notice, we love to get cards and letters and emails. It's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Stop by the website for archived copies of the show at perfectmovie.net. Net. Check us at WISO.org. You can find us on NPR.org. However you find us, see that you do. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I'll talk to See you later. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.